This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. And welcome to the latest episode of The Obsessive Viewer, where a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find back episodes at ovpodcast.com, check out the blog at obsessiveviewer.com, and check out the subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer. Tiny, how's it going, buddy? Fantastic. Nice. Fantastic. Tomorrow's my Friday. Nice. Tomorrow's my Wednesday. <laughs> um, by the way, we're recording this on a Tuesday, guys. Yeah. Um, so anyway, before we get started on this week's episode, this week's episode is an extended potpourri um, episode, and before we get started on that, I just want to let you guys know that October 16th at the Irving Theater, we are hosting Shocktober in Irvington 2. It's a uh, one-night event screening of short horror films from local filmmakers in the Indianapolis area. We're going to be doing prizes, giveaways, uh, interviews with the filmmakers, and, you know, a bunch of stuff. Uh, you can find more information at shocktoberandirvington.com uh, and where you can also buy tickets to the event. Uh, again, that's at shocktoberandirvington.com. Word. Yes. Are you excited for it? I am. I Man, October just snuck up on me. It really did. It's next week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's cool. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's terrifying. Yeah. I I... You know, October, we, we call it Shocktober here mm-hmm. at Obsessive Viewer, yeah. and uh, I did buy some Pop-Tarts that are Halloween-themed, and I'm, Whoa. I know, I'm terrified to eat them. Look at this guy. Um, I know, it's scary. Like, I have them in a cupboard instead of, like, on my counter or anything. Cause, Calm down, ladies. Yeah, I don't, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I've been, uh, I've been like, skipping over um, the Babadook. In, oh, yeah. in my Netflix queue because I want I want to kick off my oh, Shocktober nice. with that. Have you still it. not seen it? I haven't seen it yet. Oh my god, it's so good. Yeah. Oh, I'm very interested to hear what you'll think of that. I'm curious. I'm nice. curious. Yeah. Nice. But Shocktober isn't until next week. Yes. Today we're doing extended potpourri, and it's funny because we both watched something last week, and I figured that we can get it kicked off with that. I love that idea. Yes. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. It is a brilliant idea on my part. But um. <laughs> And really, I don't know why we're not just making this the focus of the episode because we ah. both watched it. But, you know, I, I personally have a lot of stuff to, to run through, so oh, I really? guess it's warranted. Yeah. So anyway, so we both went to a screening of Black Mass last week. Yes, we did. And this movie is uh, the Whitey Bulger biopic starring Johnny Depp as uh, Whitey Bulger. Bulger? Bulger? Bulger. 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 I, Bulger, I yeah. knew that. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch as Whitey's sen- uh, senator brother. And Joel Edgerton as the FBI agent they grew up with. Uh, so what did you think of it? I, I've been interested. What did you think of it? After we left the theater, we talked a little bit about it, but mm-hmm. uh, how's it sat with you? I thought it was wicked smart. <laughs> 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 no, I don't know. I really loved I, I love the Boston accent. Probably mm-hmm. my favorite, one of my favorite regional accents in America. I'm a dork. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say, I, yeah. I don't have one because... Because <laughs> you're a normal person with a brain. a normal person. Uh, the brain thing is... is yeah, that's know, questionable. That's out of, that's uh, you know, <laughs> still up in the air. Um, I liked it a lot. Nice. I thought um, the performances were... No, there was not one bad performance in the whole movie. Everybody was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and the writing was really really well done. It was surprisingly tight movie for i thought it would be like have a little more action in it a little more mm-hmm. like 
killing and death, even though there it has fair gangster share of that stuff. Yeah, it had fair share of that, but it, you know, it's in comparison to other gangster movies, wasn't quite as prevalent throughout mm-hmm. it. Um, which I respected that decision because it's more. I, I think I think it gives those scenes a little more weight when you when you use them more sparingly, like they did in this movie. Yeah, um, it adds a little more significance to them instead of just being a, a common occurrence. Um, but I, I like both styles. There's nothing wrong with either of them. Um, right. But I appreciate it in this movie. Um, and it's just, man, it's just an incredible story. I, I, I wonder how much of it's true and, and, and what all is, what all actually happened and how those people actually are in real life. So I, you know, I, I agree. I, I, I came away from the movie liking it a lot. And then as it's, as it's kind of settled with me, I've, I'm, I've been liking it a little less here and there, but mm-hmm. One thing that I really did take away from it, like almost immediately, was that this movie was just incredible at pulling you into the world and into that, um, the story basically. Yeah. Like, I I wanted to read the book after after seeing the movie, and it's funny because when we watched uh, Straight Out of Compton, I kind of had a similar feel that it was very gripping and and really great at transform transporting you into that world. Mm-hmm. And with uh with Straight Out of Compton, it made me want to research the research what happened and like look up the real events and everything with black mass it just it made me want to like study the like instead of wikipedia it made me want to like read the book that it's based on mm-hmm. um i thought that johnny depp's performance was terrific yeah um <laughs> but the characterization didn't seem that strong um he he was it's it's a whitey bulger biopic uh, say that 20 times fast but um <laughs> He, but it felt like he wasn't necessarily the focal point of it necessarily. It was more about, you know, him and Joel Edgerton's, uh, dynamic and their, their history and, uh, the overarching theme of loyalty among them mm-hmm. and everything, which is fine, which, which was fine. Like that, that through line was really well, well done. Um, but then you get scenes like, uh, like this, like the dinner scene, um, where there's a scene, there's a scene involving, groups of people, a, a group of people. And in it, Johnny Depp's character is very for like forcibly, uh, somewhat, for, well, uh, somewhat forcibly, um, intimidating the people at the dinner. Uh-huh. And it's, it has all the makings of, of a pivotal and gripping and potential iconic scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like it wasn't, it can it kind of came out of nowhere. I, I don't feel like uh, Whitey was followed closely enough to make that scene be the pivotal moment that it was supposed to be. It it in isolation was a very very uh, gripping and disturbing scene um, and very unsettling. But um, in the context of the movie, it, it didn't feel like it was quite uh, built toward well enough. How, how did you feel about it, Tiny? Hmm. I get what you're saying. Yeah, it kind of um, its placement in the story was kind of strange. Mm-hmm. Like it would have made sense in the chronology of the story. It would have made sense much more early on. Yeah. Uh, in the in the story. Um, so yeah, I, I get that. I get that. I didn't notice that when mm-hmm. I when I was watching it. But now that you say it, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, it's it's funny because when when we left the theater, I think I mentioned like something. Something along those lines as we were leaving the theater, but um, I do remember like thinking during that scene, thinking like, okay, well, where is this really coming from? Because um, it, it, I don't really. This is kind of out of left field. 
And then there was a scene later that I don't even, I don't remember the exact context, but I remember thinking like, oh yeah, okay, that's why he did that before. And it just felt like maybe if those scenes were swapped or that, that feeling was swapped, like I felt like maybe that seemed like a, a situation in which Whitey is cornered and needs to, needs to do that. But there was nothing preceding that moment to make me feel like he was cornered. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. true. I don't know. I think he's just always kind of, he's just one of those people who's always on the defensive. Yeah. Um, or all you, I guess you could say. Well, like I'm not like one of those offensive. people, Tiny. No, no. Just kidding, guys. <laughs> but I don't know. I Like like I said, that didn't, that, that didn't take me out of the movie or anything. And okay. it didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't ruin anything. But uh, I see what you're saying. And I, man, I love that scene. I thought it was. I I thought it was it had potential to be iconic and mm-hmm. you know time will tell on with that but I thought it was I thought it was really good I just <laughs> love the it was so eerie um I and it's, you mentioned Johnny Depp's performance this is his best performance in a decade probably yeah um, oh yeah I mean his original Pirates of the Caribbean performance was very good but I think this is better than that um I'm, I'm trying to think of the last time Johnny Depp was this good I'm off the top of my head I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of it too but i i can't yeah i don't know um he was fantastic and 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 i give a ton of credit to the um the the production side of the movie because mm-hmm. the uh, the the settings and the the um like set design the set design thank you the set design was all fantastic the costumes was terrific and and the makeup they made johnny depp look older and i mean he looked like he looked like a walking corpse almost he did because he had those like gray blue eyes and his hair was just slicked back and and receding and it's just it's just not a side of johnny depp that we've really seen um he he tends to be with with, with some exception he tends tends to be a, a relatively well put together person in a lot of his movies of course mm-hmm. there's there are exceptions but uh I don't know. There's so much focus on how attractive of a man he is, and he seemed to just completely put that to the wayside with this performance because he was just an eerie, eerie-looking man throughout mm-hmm. this whole movie. Absolutely. I mean, and I'm looking at his filmography, and man, there's not really, there's not really much that I've seen, at least that, or mm-hmm. or not much in his repertoire recently that stands out to me as something that. I wanted to see or something that that I'd seen and, and liked. I mean, he's he had like like Tusk, which is a movie I didn't I didn't like, and I I mm-hmm. thought that his his performance in it was strong, but it was not in the right movie. Yeah, um, and it was just that was more a fault of of Kevin Smith than anything. But and then like that same year, he had Transcendence, which was a disaster. That was not a good movie. Yeah, uh, he was in The Lone Ranger. I didn't yeah. even see that. Uh, yeah, so. Man, it's really it's really satisfying to see him kind of come back from, you know, I wouldn't say obscurity because he's he's worked steadily and he's 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 worked in high profile movies too. I mean, the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus. I think he, well, he was one of uh, Heath Ledger's replacements, right? right? Yeah. And then uh, Public Enemies and The Tourist. I think he was actually nominated for a Golden Globe for The Tourist, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Ricky Gervais had a field day with that one. Yeah. It was nominated as like a comedy or something too. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. So that's good. What did you think of Joel Edgerton? Because I, I, I loved his performance and everything. But yeah. it's funny because I, I haven't seen him in much of really anything else except for uh, Star Wars Episode Two. 
Yeah, um, I've I'm glad you brought that up because he uh, I I loved his performance. I did not like the writing. Um, mm. I don't like the I I just didn't really care that much for the way they chose to structure that character because I think he was just too. He was just he just got far too brazen with his with his uh basically his cover up. Yeah. I mean I think I think it got to the point where he he had this this symbiotic relationship with um the character's named John Connolly. He had mm-hmm. this uh this symbiotic relationship with Whitey Bulger and he was it it was giving him a big head and his ego was growing and he was just once he got promoted, he became in his own eyes, untouchable. And so he kind of flaunted the fact that he was, he's the guy who, you know, helped bring down La Cosa Nostra Mm -hmm. in, at least in Massachusetts anyways. Um, so he's, you know, he's this, this big wig and he, he has this untouchable notion and this, this attitude. And it, it it just seems so idiotic. Like who would do that? (laughs) Um, and he just like when the new, uh, there, there's a new character who shows up. There's a, there's a new um, uh, district attorney in the area, and he's like a real bulldog and um, and all that. And he he just walks into his office and offers him tickets to the Red Sox game, and <laughs> and it's like well, he's, he's trying to get on his good side. And, I know, but yeah. it was just like it was so clumsy and stupid. So it was like, <laughs> yeah. why would you do that? Like, you know, work your way in a smart way. You know, it's <laughs> like don't. He just had this ridiculous swagger about him throughout the movie the character did that i just really didn't i really couldn't appreciate he was just like lazy and just too too open and brazen with his illegality basically Mm -hmm. i just i thought it was just i can't imagine somebody being that stupid (laughs) (laughs) and it it obviously caught up to him yeah um it was frustrating for me i agree and i think that's indicative of of the overall writing of the movie actually because it was if you go back to my to my complaints about that dinner scene, um, like that scene in isolation is good, but it, uh, the it didn't it wasn't built built up well enough, and juxtapose that with with Joel Edgerton's entire character arc throughout the movie, it's it seems like it seemed like the movie had a certain identity crisis and what it wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, parts of it wanted to be a Whitey Bulger bi- biopic. The other wanted to be this statement about about the these two men's loyalty to one another and mm-hmm. then how he would how one of them would go um, above and beyond to, to protect the other um, and stuff like that. And, and the result is a kind of muddled half biopic, half uh, lo- gangster loyalty movie. And I felt like if there was more focus on one or on one of those segments and, and that was made more the focal point. Like if we had started with uh, maybe the Bulgers and, and uh, John Connolly, John Connolly mm-hmm. um, as kids growing up and then, and then see their, their friendship and their, and their relationship throughout the years, that would be stronger and said, yeah, it, it was just kind of a muddled kind of a mess. Um, yeah. It, it lacked, it lacked balance in that respect. And yeah, that that's a good point. I think it. I think that foundation would have been good to see. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of reminisced about it in dialogue, but uh, to use your term, that breaks the "show us, don't tell us" rule. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of a lot of talking about loyalty. Yeah, as if, opposed to demonstration. Oh yeah, and that and it could have been answered so well with uh, just a bit of expository, even flashbacks, or or right. open with an expository flashback showing them or something like that. Maybe that mm-hmm. might be a little a little sloppy and a little clumsy and everything, but it would get the message across. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, with the, 
the, his brazen antics uh, yeah. in in his uh, in his actions throughout the movie. It's uh, like the, I do now. I do want to see. I, I would like to know what it was because it seems like that was almost like. I wonder if he was that brazen with with right. with that, yeah. or if this was like a screenwriting. Kind of like okay, well, we need to we need to condense his actions, so let's make these big things and like kind of just uh, I don't want to say amateur, but maybe make mm-hmm. it like a a really kind of weak screenwriting technique. I guess I don't know. Yeah. I don't know who wrote it, so right. Yeah, but I think I think overall, I'd, I'd probably give the movie like a soft eight out of ten. Um, yeah, I probably would too. Probably seven point five. Okay. Yeah, it's I mean it it has a very good chance of making my top ten. Um, We'll see. Nice. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Probably in the high, the high numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the cast yeah. was amazing. Oh, also. so good. Um, such a great cast. Yeah, uh, Landry from Friday Night Lights. Jesse. Yeah, Plemons. Jesse Plemons. Yeah, he was good, and I kind of wish he had more to do. I kind of wish everyone had a little more to do. Yeah. Uh, Peter Sarsgaard was fantastic. Uh huh. Um, he was actually really. He was awesome. And uh, you mentioned Corey Stahl's character, the the district attorney guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish he had more to do. He's kind of introduced and then kind of just he didn't, yeah. didn't really do anything. <laughs> right. Same thing with Juno Temple, um, oh, as yeah. uh, the the stepdaughter of the main enforcer guy. Or that whatever. was Juno Temple. Okay. Yeah, like she's uh, she's not that famous, but I, I knew who she was right away, and I was like, oh, it's Juno Temple, and like she has one, two scenes. Yeah. And one of them, you know, <laughs> and the introduction and, of her is just insane. Like, yeah. The, it's such a kind of throwaway thing. It's like. Maybe maybe we should know a little bit more about this relationship. Here. Yeah, I loved the scenes. I thought they were fantastic. Oh, yeah. And the acting, I even thought the writing was good. It just again the the placement and the structure was kind of weird. Yeah. Um, and just the fact that they used Juno Temple for that tiny role was just right. kind of odd. Um, there yeah. there was a great another great conflict scene between uh Joel Edgerton's character and Benedict Cumberbatch's character that. I thought it was really well done. Um, and, and as I was sitting there watching it, I kind of, I kind of fell out of the movie and I was like, that's so insane that we're watching a British dude and an Australian <laughs> dude go at it in Boston accents and they're like <laughs> nailing it. Yeah. I was like, this is, that's just freaky. Like, oh yeah. That's, that's just so common anymore. Right. It's, to, yeah. Have these, have these like British or Australian or, or wherever, mm-hmm. uh, actors just, absolutely knock out these American, these regional American accents and just like play these hardcore Americans to a T. It's just, yeah. it's, I think it's exciting and it's oh, fun. I'm, oh, not, yeah. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just, it's, I just notice it so much now. And yeah. And I, and I wish that, <laughs> I wish that we could reciprocate Like American actors can reciprocate with yeah. strong British accents or, or foreign accents. Right. But lest we, we aren't that, we aren't that bloody good at it. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, and and kind of closing thoughts on on Black Mass, there was a there was kind of a the frame uh, the frame story of of the movie uh, or the kind of it's introduced as as kind of flashbacks uh, from you know what it seems to be near present day, and the, and it kind of jumps back to those through different characters' perspectives. It's kind of like a uh, kind of like a True Detective season one kind of vibe mm-hmm. from it, and yeah. uh, I wish that there was more of a through line with that kind of thread. And that kind of, I wish that that kind of had, I wish that had more of a payoff than, yeah. than what we got because it's kind of just, I, I was anticipating the movie transitioning to like, you know, present day or whatever causes uh, the the scenes we're seeing in the opening of the movie, but it that never really came. 
No. And, and I understand that um, the way that Whitey Bulger's story ends is uh, is is kind of huh, I I I haven't looked into it, but I think that they were filming it when when certain things happened, or, or they were there mm. were it was it's not something that was like set in stone once they once they had finished it, or maybe I'm pulling that out of my out of my ass and and it, it was kind of completely laid out but i feel like the the end scene was just kind of rushed um it was yeah it's kind of like a uh really any any biopic or historical thing it's kind of like oh this is where this is what everything happened on on screen with with words and um stuff yeah i wasn't crazy about it i mean I, it, it did seem rushed i agree yeah yeah yep so, so that's Black Mass. Uh, I I said seven point five. Ten, you said eight. So, a soft uh, eight. Soft eight. I'd I'd like to see Johnny Depp get an Oscar nomination though. Oh, nice. I I thought he was just great. Yeah, yeah. I would. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he was great. Um, we'll see. Okay. Uh, so so yeah, this is this is extended potpourri. Let's you know, let's do this. Yeah. Um, um creep. It's a it's a movie. Um, yes, <laughs> I watched on Facebook. Or wow, <laughs> wow, it's a movie that I watched on Netflix. It's a found footage horror movie, mumble gore. Uh, the horror aspect of mumble gore. I don't like those words. <laughs> um, I just I just something about the words. I just, I just don't like them. But anyway, it's a found footage mumble gore horror movie about a man who takes an ad to document an eccentric dying man, played by Mark Duplass. Oh wow! Yeah, and uh, I think I can't remember if Mike mentioned this on the podcast when he when he came back for a few episodes, or if he mentioned it in our pod chat. But I talked to him a little bit about it uh, via Twitter, I think, and it he liked it, and I I I enjoyed it quite a bit. I thought that uh, it was a it was a Mark Duplass in particular. He played a really convincing, like odd and kind of unsettling guy um throughout the movie he's kind of this this wiry like um like oh i'm gonna this is i'm 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 having you document my life because i'm dying and and this is for my son and he's trying it's it it's like he's putting on a brave face but you can tell that there's a there's a mask to him that there's something not right with him um Hmm. yeah and it's (laughs) it's funny because i i tweeted this there's (laughs) There's a point where he's in he's in a bathtub and the guy's filming him in the bathtub and this is going to sound weird but it it's like he's he's pretending to give uh a an invisible son a bath basically. Wow. Yeah, and and the look on his face like I I actually have a, a freeze frame of it. It's so it's so goofy looking. But anyway, so so the movie itself it's it kind of leads you into this really creepy kind of kind of uh story. And, uh, the ending, the ending is the most effective part of it. Um, it ends on a very, just really disturbing note and, and, and uh, the ending was very effective, but the lead up to it, uh, the movie really relied way too much on jump scares. Um, that's too bad. Yeah. For the first 45 minutes to an hour of the movie and it's, it's a less than 90 minute movie. There's. I counted um, uh, a minimum of five uh, jump scares where that are literally mm. Mark Duplass jumping out of out of uh, out of frame out of from out of frame 
into frame to startle the guy that's filming him Jeez. in a jovial manner. Ugh. And it was, I mean, I jumped each time, but it was like, come on, come on, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, but when you get past that, the meat of it, the, 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 the way that, uh, that Mark Duplass's character, uh, acts for the camera and to the guy are, are both unsettling enough that it's, it's a worthy experience to watch the movie. Okay. Um, so it's definitely like a horror scary movie yeah okay. yeah it's it's more thriller than horror but okay. uh the kind of button on the end of it is solidifies it as just a really disturbing movie and mm-hmm. i will say this the the kind of uh money shot of the movie uh for lack <laughs> of a better word is is really really effective um like it's still in my head now wow but had the movie the movie has like a little bit of a a uh a coda at the end of it after, after, after that. Okay. And if that, if that, if the scene ended on the money shot like that, I would have just really dis, I've been disappointed with the movie, mm-hmm. but that, that final scene kind of just kind of puts it all into perspective okay. for me. Um, I don't know if that's, I hope that's not saying too much. I don't think it is, but, um, it was, it was an enjoyable movie. Mm-hmm. I would, uh, I'd recommend it. Cool. Uh, yeah. And, uh, I'll go ahead and go again since, yeah, you know, um, white God. Um, <laughs> for my notes, I have the titles and I have like a little a little uh logline description of the movies. And before I wrote out the actual description for this, I wrote out dogs. So I just said white God and description dogs. Um, but it's a Hungarian drama about a girl trying to find her dog after her father sets him loose. Um, huh. the trailers are deceptive. It's really? uh, yeah, it's. It's kind of played up in the trailers like a like a like a zombie attack kind of thing, but with dogs instead of zombies. Not like infected dogs, just dogs attacking humans. Hmm. Uh that's not what the movie's about though. It's it's a strong allegory for like race relations, but as a fable uh between humans and dogs. It's it's actually like there's scenes where and this is my takeaway from it, at least I don't know how intentional this is, but it seemed kind of overt. But dogs and, and dogs dogs need to be registered and and if they're not registered they go into go into camps and uh hmm. not camps but you know kennels uh, right kill right. shelters well they where they will die and it's kind of just it's very strong um echoes of like nazism and mm-hmm. and 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 concentration camps and stuff like that it's very bleak um but the heart of the story tiny did you ever see the movie bingo yeah Really? Yeah. Nice. From the early nineties, yeah. early to mid nineties. Yeah. About the dog who loses loses track of his family and. Yeah, I don't really remember it, but yeah. Yeah, the the dog, uh, the family moves and the dog gets away from gets away from them or something or runs away or something and then he travels across the country to find them. It's kind of the same thing. <laughs> oh really? But not not really not not really. But it, they're both like uh, the little girl's trying to find the dog, but. Um, it's a more like it's if it's if bingo got um turned into uh uh turned around into dog fighting but um ah, gotcha. but it, the the movie is really emotional though it it's very it's kind of tough to watch at times um but mm-hmm. the the all I can say about it is it's a smart satire and and also it's really impressive like while watching it all I thought was I respect the hell out of anyone who can shoot a movie or or direct a movie 
with that many dogs in the mix. Because, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because according to IMDb Trivia, this movie boasts 274 dogs. Good Lord. Used, used in the production, which... Uh, according to IMDb, again, is uh, most dogs ever used in a feature film. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. So uh, that's crazy. Yeah. So that's White God. It's it's kind of an overt kind of uh, fable or overt uh, satire of of race relations and 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 you know kind of kind of really dark um, subtext. But uh, and it's kind of tough to watch. But it's uh, it's an emotional. An emotional journey, and and worth hmm. seeing. I think it it was uh it was really interesting. Cool. Yeah. Is that also on Netflix? It is. Last I checked. Nice. So what do you what do you got for us? Um, I'm gonna start out with something that that I think complements Black Mass very nicely. Nice. Uh, it's the 2015 Cinderella. <laughs> okay. okay yeah you're gonna have to uh you're, shocker you're gonna have to walk me through this because i have not seen it um yeah yeah it's uh i mean i watched it uh last night actually mm-hmm. uh my girlfriend like her favorite disney movie when she was a kid was cinderella oh, nice. and so she's like i really want to see this and i was like yeah i'll watch it it's got it's got uh um uh rob stark in it so Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember the actress who plays Cinderella. She's pretty unknown. Um, hmm. She was fine, but yeah, the movie was. I mean, it's pretty much what I expected. It was uh, visually pretty impressive. Um, again, uh, the, the costumes and everything, and the set design was actually like really well done. Um, it was film filmed pretty well. Uh, the performances were all, you know what I expected that nothing st- stood out really. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate Blanchett plays the, the evil stepmother. Um, and she's, she's very good as a, as an antagonist. Um, she's always great. And, uh, and she, she did pretty well in this. She didn't have a ton to work with really, really? as far as the script goes. It was a pretty, uh, a pretty vanilla script. I didn't think there was anything that stood out very well. Um, but you know, we're talking about a Disney movie. I mean, it's not right. You know, it's 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 pretty standard. Um, it's just, it was a very standard movie. That's how I would put it. Um, but you know, it's I, I don't have a to, I don't have a ton to say about it. I think it's you know, if you're a fan of the original, the uh, the animated version from mm-hmm. the 50s or 60s or whenever, um, check it out. the The parallels are are interesting to to watch. Um, uh, all of the magic and stuff was was pretty cool. I love the visuals they used. Um, but I mean, it just it it was just such a such a recycle of the of the first one that it's like you know there's nothing that really can shock you or really um really like draw you in and make you love it cuz like you are if you if you love the original you love it if you don't you don't and it's like this doesn't do anything to sway those opinions either way um it it was just a um a pretty standard movie and you know you knew exactly what you were going to get um I, I it was fine you know I'd probably give it like a Six, okay. five and a half, six, probably. I don't know why I feel the need to put numbers on everything lately. Right. Um, but that's that's probably what I give it. I mean, it's just you know, I, I just kind of watched it, watched it with uh, minimal interest. Nice. Yeah. Um, I assume, and this won't be a spoiler, but does does Rob Stark have a happy ending in this movie? Yeah, yeah, good. he does. Good, good. He does. Um, kind of typecast. Yeah, played two princes who become kings. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, the king in the north. Anyway, um, directed by Kenneth Branagh. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I I assume that's where a lot of the quality came from. Right. Because he's he's a 
good director, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. So yeah, Cinderella. Sweet. Not a whole lot to say about it. Cool. I uh, I will rush out to see that. Um, <laughs> so my next one, I think, Tiny, I think that, I think that you've seen this, but and I think that you've brought it up on a potpourri. But I ran a search through through obsessiveviewer.com where all the show notes are and everything for uh-huh. for the podcast, and I couldn't find it um, where you saw it, but or if you talked about it. So maybe I'm maybe I'm mistaken. I'm intrigued now. It's the woman who wasn't there. The woman who wasn't there. Um, <laughs> Why does that sound familiar? Well, I'll tell you, Tiny. <laughs> it's a documentary about Tanya Head, a woman infamous for lying about surviving the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Yes, I saw that. Okay, I thought so. And I, I don't mean, think and... I brought it up on the podcast. Okay. Huh, interesting. I, but I know we talked about it in person. Nice. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I don't remember any of that conversation. <laughs> nice. But I kind of want to put in perspective my reason for watching this, because I'm not, I, like, if you listen for a while, you know that I'm not really one to seek out documentaries or anything. Mm-hmm. That's more Tiny's area stick yeah so recently um steve i can't i don't know how to pronounce his last name steve renez uh, from uh from from the league oh yeah yeah, yeah i can't steve, think of what his name is yeah right. anyway recently it came to light that <laughs> steve uh renez is um I, i'm probably butchering that last name but um who knows maybe you lied about it but anyway he <laughs> It came to light that he he's famous for the league. He's he's Kevin in the league. He apparently when he was 24, it was t- 2001, and he worked in New York City. And so when he when 9/11 happened, he moved out to uh, to Los Angeles with his wife, and it became like he started telling people that he was in the towers uh, right when when they were struck, and he concocted this whole story about how he worked in Merrill Lynch in the office in, in the World Trade Center. Um, I think it was the South Tower, the one that got hit second. And he made up this whole this whole story. He wasn't even in, like, he wasn't in, he he didn't work in that section of, of New York. Uh-huh. And so it kind of came to light recently that he was lying because apparently Merrill Lynch, Lynch didn't even have offices there. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so... So that kind of put it in in my head, and this might be a little bit of a tangent, but I I will say that I kind of I respect or I don't respect, but I I kind of appreciate the way that he the way that he came forth about it, um, because he had a statement where he was like, I listen, I was a I was a kid, um, I don't know why I lied about it, but I did, and you know, I just kind of kind of just wanted it to, you know, I didn't want it to come out come out or anything, so I just. It it made it sound like he just kind of wanted it to go away mm-hmm. uh, once he realized how horrible of a person he was for lying about it. Yeah. Uh, but it's funny because he's he's like there's interviews where he brings it up and he mentions it on like he mentioned it on WTF with Mark Marin as soon as like a couple years ago. Oh man. Yeah, and it's just it's it's oh, it's something else. I can't fathom why someone would do that with any kind of tragic event of any kind like yeah. to insert themselves after the fact into that scenario is just just really borderline sociopathic really yeah it's unforgivable yeah so in light of those events i uh, watched the woman who wasn't there which as i said before is a documentary about tanya head uh who she she was 
a woman who said that she was a survivor of, of the terrorist attacks. She said that she was in the South Tower. She said, not only that, she said that she was in the, like, around, like, one of the floors that were the point of impact for the, for the plane. Right. And, like, she had this whole story where, um, it's just, I, I don't want to spoil it because I want people to see this documentary because it's, well, mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess I recommend it. Um, I'll get into that in a second, but I'm kind of all over the place. I apologize. But overall, the, the documentary is disturbing and just, and just really rage inducing. Um, because take what Steve Renazizi did and just multiply it 10, 20 fold. Yeah. Because she invented, she, she took a survivor or she took, she took someone who, she took the name of someone who died mm-hmm. and said that he was her fiance and that they were they were supposed to be married in New York in, in October. Yeah. And that she like it goes to so much so many different layers to this to this just really yeah. pathological lie. So much detail and yeah. Yeah. And it's it's a really fascinating documentary in that they they originally conceived it from from what I read. They conceived it as a kind of checkup on the on the survivors of the nine eleven survivors, kind of a kind of a documentary about the survivors. So there are scenes in in the documentary that show her, you know, perpetuating the lie and and telling her story to the camera for the documentary. And it's it's so the opening of the uh, the documentary is just really. Like I said, rage inducing because she's mm-hmm. she's making up she's she's spouting off these these uh these comments about about survivors' guilt and about yeah about everything and like it's juxtaposed with like actual survivors that she knows and she knew talking about it saying like completely contradicting the, her her purported feelings because she's not having an honest an honest bout with survivors' guilt or anything like she's mm-hmm. there's one one example I'll give of that because I'm kind of rambling here is that. She says that she has people come up to her and ask her, you know, what what happened and, and how their loved ones died. And she says in the documentary, she's like, and I, I don't say anything because, I mean, who wants to talk about body parts and stuff? Which to to first say that so 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 just nonchalantly and everything, but also like it's a very. uh therapeutic and, and common trait with survivor's guilt saying that, you know, um, they want to know how their loved ones died. And, and it's, it's so just out of her, uh, out of her line of thinking that it's, it's so, it sticks out so much. Um, yeah. So the documentary I thought was good. Um, uh, even though she obviously wasn't going to be involved <laughs> with mm-hmm. the making of it or anything, um, I do wish that there was more detail about the psychological implications of her and, and of this, this trait, this, this path, uh, pathological lying that she, that mm-hmm. she had and everything. Um, cause it's, it like, it's clearly like some kind of mental disorder. Like I, I would have loved them to go into depth about the psychology behind it because this is a, a beha- sort of behavior that, people have i don't i and i can't wrap my head around how pathological it is yeah Um, she she essentially just lies to get i think she lied to get attention mm -hmm. and the thing is everyone does that but she took it to such an extreme that it's it's vastly immoral it's vastly immoral to 
capitalize on people's grief mm-hmm. for your own gain or your own benefit. And and like you said, it's all attention. It's like right. she got no financial gain out of it. Right. It was just, mm-hmm. it was, uh, I can't understand that at, yeah. at all. I don't know. I It blew me away too. I, I thought it was a really good documentary as mm-hmm. well. Um, uh, I, I remember most of it too. Um, yeah, I was, I was sickened by it. Yeah. I mean, I just, who, who would, who the hell would do that? It's just awful. Yeah. It's, but, but also fascinating to see unfold. Yeah. At the same time. I mean, you know, I would have rather had it not happen than happen, but it's going to happen. It's, it's, it's interesting to watch. Right. It's, it's a terrible thing to say, but, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was an awful thing, but I think the filmmakers captured it pretty well. Yeah, yeah, and I, maybe I wasn't giving them enough credit there, but I, I do think that they captured the um, the flip side of them not examining at a clinical level the the what I can only say is a mental disorder. It has to be. Yeah. Um, the flip side of that is that they captured like just honesty, like like the honest way. Like there's a scene where um where one of the one of the people of the organization are talking are talking to a tour, uh, a walk of the tour of the, of the, of the sites of nine 11 and everything. So he's speaking and he's talking about the organization that she's like the figurehead of. Right. And he's saying, he's saying like, Oh, this is such a great organization. And what's great about it is no one is like, no one's at the top of it. Everyone's works together and everything. And he says it's so, so compassionately. And so, so honestly, and like just in that same frame, you can see her, in the frame, you can see her look up at him, like with this kind of scornful, like, like I gotta, I gotta knock this guy off the, off this, off this organization. Yeah. And it's just, and then, and then, she conspires to get him kicked out of the organization. Yeah. It's, it was just, it was amazing. I, I love that kind of, that kind of style. There, it was very honest, kind of in the trenches, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of wish that there was more of a clinical view of, of yeah. the disorder. A diagnosis, if you will, and yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, like a talking heads of of people in, uh, like psychiatrists and stuff. Would, right. I mean, that would be, that would have been most satisfactory. But yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So crazy, crazy, crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. And the other thing I want to bring up in in, in this turn is uh, <laughs> uh, on a much lighter note, uh, review. On Comedy Central, are you familiar with this show, Tiny? Uh, I've never watched it, but I've I've seen previews for it and stuff. Watch three episodes. Yeah. Watch the first three episodes, <laughs> like seriously. Yeah. And if you're not hooked on it, then then it's just not for you. But you mm-hmm. will be hooked on it because it's so good. Nice. Um, for our listeners, review uh, is a remake of a uh, an Aust- an Australian series, um, and in it. Andy Daly plays Forrest McNeil, a life critic who reviews real life experiences despite how it affects his own life. And oh my god, it's so it's so funny, but it's got this emotional kind of um uh, emotional subtext to it or, or this emotional through line throughout the entire season. I only watched the first season, I watched it all on Hulu. And uh, first of all, Andy Daly's amazing. He's it's he plays Forrest McNeil and he 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 plays the character as such a in such a unique way cuz it's it's a ridiculous premise like the, the guy's reviewing life events like anyone anyone uh 
it's as if it's a show or it's as if it's a, a, a review show. Um, but it's not like, it's not like he, when he leaves the set to go do these reviews and everything, um, he interacts with his, with his private life, but they don't really call attention to the show that he's doing. So it's, okay. it's kind of a, it's an interesting concept. It's that he's doing the show, like the, the start of the episode and each episode covers two to three topics that he reviews. So like one episode is, is pancakes and, um, that's probably a, a bad, ex, a bad example, but, um, he, he's saying like, yeah, you need to, uh, the, tweet says or something that what it would be like to eat 15 pancakes <laughs> so he goes and, and he does that but um i'm jumping around on my notes and everything but um also like the other topics he covers is drug addiction um <laughs> what would it be like to go to space oh my god um have uh uh, uh be in an orgy oh my god and all of these things that he does uh have repercussions and impact on his personal life so and like while the show is hilarious it's that emotional it's the emotional toll that the reviews take on forest that absolutely hooked me in this episode in this into hmm. the show um like i said it's a ridiculous world and a ridiculous premise but seeing how he reacts to reviewing things uh and and how he reacts to those things damaging his life is hands down the best part of it andy daly does a phenomenal job of cultivating this character that's so that's so that his actions are so dictated by the show that he's doing the the reviews he's, that he's doing is that it's it's not like he struggles with no it's not necessarily that he doesn't struggle with with having to uh um do things that are out of the realm of his of his personal life it's that he's he gets the assignment and it's like okay well I got to do this it's it's no like way around it or anything it's just he's he's got to do it and then it's it gets to such a such a bizarre place and and the thing that I really liked is that it's somewhat serialized in in the way that his personal life is is uh affected throughout the whole season um hmm. yeah and like i said episode 3 it's the most surprisingly poignant episode uh it'll hook you on the series and hook you on forced's story and it's hmm. It's it's really funny. I I highly recommend it. Like seriously, okay. watch it. Like when you get home. Wow. Yeah. The <laughs> first season is on Hulu. Um, I don't know if. Yeah, you'll probably find it on demand or something. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah. What uh, sounds what, awesome. Yeah, it's it's really good. Um, the the trivia for it on IMDb says that it's it's based on an Australian show. Uh, but the trivia said that the Australian show quote, pushed the envelope so far that it got banned, but I can't find anything on the internet to corroborate that. Huh. So that's likely not the case, but okay. um, I did notice, just gazing at the uh, descriptions of the Australian show, they do stuff like, like they cover like episodes like murder and Jeez. stuff like that, and like the uh, the craziest thing that they do in, in season one of this version is be on the run from the law or drug addiction or orgies or right. Um, wow. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's fantastic. I, I watched like the entire first season in like a day and a half. Jeez. Yeah. It was really good. Awesome. Yep. Uh, so what's your next one? Uh, my next one is I watched the movie get hard. Um, which, uh, my girlfriend and I were just in the mood for a silly comedy. Mm -hmm. And so I, 
I figured that would be a, a good one. And it was it was surprisingly fun and and uh palatable. I thought it was gonna be I I'm just not sold on Kevin Hart. I mean, so many people just love that guy. And I I think he's funny, uh, but I I think he's so much better as a supporting actor. Mm-hmm. Um I, I, I feel like he he fills those roles so much better than um some of his other stuff like uh uh what was the one uh, ride along with Ice Cube? I yeah. really, really didn't think that was a very good movie. And, I uh, never bothered to see it. Yeah, I didn't think he was very good in it, to be honest. Um, I, I just, I, I'm not quite sold on on him yet. Um, but I think the fact that in this movie he was, he was kind of the co-star to Will Ferrell was was much better. I, I, I thought he was stronger in that in that kind of role. Um, whereas in Ride Along, he's he's the main character and he's taking taking on most of the responsibility of carrying the movie. But in this one, you know, Will Ferrell, who is you know wide widely practiced in carrying a film, right. uh, takes on a lot of that. And so I thought the fact that that they shared it was was much better in this movie, and it 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 created uh, environments for better comedy. Um, and I thought it was, it was funny. I mean, it's it's again predictable mm-hmm. uh, in in certain certain respects um but just really fun it it was just a fun movie um there's some classic comedy in there some stuff that's hilarious um but there's not a ton of it uh it's it's not it's not one of the best comedies i've seen or anything like that um but i think it's i think it's worth a watch it's it's funny uh especially some of the stuff where i mean will ferrell like almost joins a gang like like a streak like he almost bloods into a gang. Jesus. It's just, it's just like it's so funny. Um, so yeah, there's some there's some good stuff in there, uh, and uh, it's of course it's an absolutely ridiculous, preposterous, you know, notion right. for a movie, but it, it's fun. So that's all that really matters. Cool. Um, so would you recommend it then? I would. Yeah. Uh, it, again, it wouldn't. It's not going to make a top ten list. Um, it's not great, mm-hmm. but it's it's pretty good comedy. Nice. Pretty good comedy, yeah. Um, you have to turn off, turn off your brain a little bit. Sure. <laughs> um, but you you can have a good time with it if you go in with the, go into it with the right expectations. Nice. I wonder if it's on HBO Go. <sighs> I don't recall. We rented it uh, um, off of UVerse. Oh, nice. So same with Cinderella. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I might check it out. I kind of the the trailers for it didn't really do much for me, but you know, <laughs> it's funny. I I I'm. I found myself more often than not being really in the mood for just dumb comedy uh-huh. lately. And uh, that sounds like it would be right up my alley. It will do that. Um, it will fulfill that role. Yeah. And I think it's a mark of growth that I didn't ask you if uh, I'm not going to make that joke. Oh, no. Yep. So my next one. And no one will ever know. Oh, no. Um, My next one is Cannibal. Uh, Recently canceled. <laughs> by NBC. Yeah. And I've only watched the pilot episode so uh so this will be short and sweet but um and this is going to be a lot of just parroting what what other people have said about it in like 2 years ago. <laughs> yeah. But I am so surprised that that level of violence is depicted on network TV. Oh, really? It's uh and I've heard people say that so many times mm-hmm. but I did not expect that. Nice. There's a lot of blood. There's a lot of gore. Um, in a good way, though. In a good way. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The the pilot episode is very good. 
Um, of course, it takes the iconic character of Hannibal Lecter, and uh, it's set before, before like like Red Dragon and before uh, Manhunter. It's uh, basically Will Graham is a, I think he's like a professor or something, and he's his whole thing is that he he empathizes with the killers to an to a, an emotionally draining degree. Mm-hmm. So there are these really interesting sequences where he's in he's in the world of of or he's in the mind of the killer so like it, it the, the the series opens with him at a crime scene and he is he's like does like uh the the way that the scene is filmed changes it's like filtered a little bit and he's like he's from it's from the perspective of the killer and it's his voice saying saying like like all the things that the killer said and mm-hmm. and uh it's very it's very disturbing it's it's the imagery is really disturbing and <laughs> um it's about midway about midway through the episode um at least it's seen that way that we're introduced to Hannibal Lecter mm-hmm. and my god the introduction of Hannibal Lecter to this series is so so satisfying nice and it's so it it's uh <laughs> it, the way that his character is introduced is he's just and this is spoiler i guess but it's the pilot episode of a show that's already been canceled and is this aired two or three years ago mm-hmm. he the <laughs> uh uh will graham dis- discovers that the killer that they're chasing is a cannibal and so uh so the scene ends with him saying uh saying like i think he's eating them or something and then just a a cut to Hannibal Lecter, plays by played by Mads Mickelson, preparing dinner. <laughs> and he's sitting at a table and he's just carefully like taking a bite of just a very very nicely like gourmet looking meal yeah. meat. <laughs> and it's so like it's so so satisfying. And what what's great is that he it's he's I don't think he, no, he's not the, like, it's a cop. He's not, that's not who they're chasing. That's not like the, the through line of the, of the series. That's not the, that's not the way the series unfolds from the pilot. Uh So it's just, it's just a nice, an interesting juxtaposition of, of playing up the, the legacy of Hannibal Lecter in that opening scene, that first scene we see him, this incarnation of him is just, like I had to give props to, I think Brian Fuller is the guy that uh, created it. Hmm. Um, yeah, and the rest of the episode is is pretty good. It's it's really good actually. It's uh kind of a, and this is what's kind of kind of why I haven't watched more of it because I kind of feels like it's it'd be like a procedural kind of thing. Yeah, uh, which I'm I'm so tired of cop procedurals, but yeah. Um, but yeah, and and there's another scene later though that will probably make me go back to it now that I'm thinking about it. Um <laughs> so yeah, so I'm I'm gonna dig more into it and watch watch some more and um see what I see what I think about it. But so hmm. far a good strong start for, for Hannibal. Um shame that I'm part of the problem and watching it after it's been cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> um Well yeah. Huh, that's cool. Yeah, I've I've heard a lot about it, but I don't know. I, 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 of course, was against the fact that it's a network show. Right. You know, yeah. I was like, if it were cable, I'd probably give it a shot. But uh, I might, uh, I might watch it eventually. Yeah. You know, it would be interesting to uh, 
as an experiment to show you the pilot, like somehow show you the pilot without telling you if it's network or cable to see if you could decide which which was which. Because I would honestly, the amount of gore and violence and everything, it's I really don't think it's uh, I really don't think it's really uh, distinguishable as as network or, or cable. Nice, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Kudos. Um, we'll see. My next one is, uh, I watched, um, recently I watched St. Vincent, uh, starring nice. Bill Murray and, uh, what's her name? Um, uh, um, Michelle or, uh, Melissa, Melissa McCarthy. McCarthy. Yeah. Melissa McCarthy. Yeah. Um, I recently watched that and, uh, you know, I, we were in the mood for comedy again. My, my girlfriend loves comedies. It's like what mm-hmm. she wants to watch more than anything else. And, uh, that's fine. I, I love that. Um, Sometimes I want to watch a drama though, and at the time I was I really I I still have not seen um, Mad Max Fury Road yet. Me neither. And it's driving me nuts. Like I've been like, <laughs> it's every- drive it's driving you nuts because cars. <sighs> Jesus, you know, it's furying me nuts. Oh, uh, you're, you're better than that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I am. I am. Anyway, so I was like, let's watch that, and because she, she she'll watch an action movie, and she's like, mm-hmm. I just don't. No, I can't right now. I was like, all right. <sighs> and so I settled on a semi-dramedy, you know, St. Vincent dramedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I think that's that's important to bring up is that people who are looking for a hilarious comedy, you're not really going to find it in this movie. Okay. Um, it's it, it really falls, I don't know if it falls straight into the drama or the dramedy category, but it's it plays with that line because there's... Um, there's some really funny stuff in it. Of course, you're going to get that with Bill Murray. He's mm. he's just a comedic genius. Um, but there, I, I think I think the quality of the film is is in how endearing it is and how yes. touching it is and how how much you relate to the character and you really you really feel the character's emotions throughout the movie. Um, through both Bill Murray and the uh, the boy, who's the kind of the main character, uh, the young boy, who uh, he's uh, the premise of the film is that there's uh, Melissa McCarthy moves in next door to Bill Murray, and he's kind of an old hermit, a crotchety old curmudgeon, mm-hmm. and uh, and her young son kind of befriends him, and uh, he ends up being a babysitter for the boy, kind of okay. in a de facto way. Um, and and it goes from there and it's you know it's not it's not super uh original you know it's kind of a um Dennis the Menace Mr. Wilson type deal going on but okay. a little less slapsticky um so like i said it's, it's not super original but i think it um the, the the writers and the actors and everyone really made it their own the the formula if you will um and it's it, it was just a really fun movie i i really had a good time with it um the uh the acting again is great um, Bill Murray was he, he used a certain inflection and an accent he used an accent and a certain inflection on his voice mm-hmm. and his voice is just unrecognizable really like I was like is that is that Bill Murray's what <laughs> wow did someone dub him what the hell <laughs> um, and so he he delivers a great performance in that respect um, I think I think more than anything though the standout is the, uh, the the young boy I wish I had looked up his name I was gonna ask you how he was because I know that uh we here at Obsessive Viewer are a little a little on the fence about child actors. We are. We are. Uh, me especially. I'm very harsh. Yeah. And the, um, the actor's name is Jaden Lieberher. Yeah, him. Uh, <laughs> Jaden. Sorry, sorry. 
Jaden spelled J A E D E N. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. No, Jaden. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> he was a standout. I, nice. I really, I, I really appreciated appreciated what he did. He uh, he he kept up with Bill Murray toe to toe. I was really impressed with that. Um, great performance on his part. And uh, Melissa McCarthy was good. It was refreshing to see her do do something uh, different, play mm-hmm. not the same character again. Right. Um, which I, I think she plays that character well, and mm-hmm. it's funny every time, but it's getting a little old. Yeah, um, uh, I agree. Yeah. So uh, St. Vincent was great. I, I really, yeah, I mean, I not only did I get choked up like it, I, like I, I cried. This was such oh. a, it, it, it struck a very emotional chord and uh i think that was intentional and, and i I, th- I just thought it was great i really i really loved the the emotional level they achieved with the film was was really good wow um oh no so <laughs> so so you cried and everything does does how does Paige feel having a girl roommate again so anyway <laughs> <sighs> jesus that's not I'm, that's not i'm not even the... i'm gonna tell her that she's gonna beat you up <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not even the type of joke i would make anyway um, <laughs> It's funny uh, that that Jaden kid, Jaden, uh, I can't remember his last name, but uh, I feel like that uh, it's cool to see that he did so well because he's you know he's got a lot of work lined up. He was in that oh really uh, Cameron Crow movie Aloha, I think. Oh yeah, huh. yeah, and uh, he's also in nine episodes of Masters of Sex. Wow, um, that's sh- I think it's on Showtime. Showtime, yeah, yeah. Which is a show? Have, have you, you haven't watched any of it? Have you? I have not. I, uh, so. I, I almost did because Michael Sheen's in it, and I yeah love him. Uh, but I haven't. I haven't watched it. Yeah, I uh, I'm I, I'm definitely interested in it because I've heard a lot of a lot of good buzz about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that kid is in nine episodes, uh, like of the re- recent season. It seems. Wow. So good on him. Definitely, uh, definitely check out Saint Vincent. It's uh, cool. it's very endearing. Nice. Yeah. Um. Okay, so I'll, I'll go next of the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we miss Mike. Anyway. Um, yeah. So I watched uh the pilot episode of Better Call Saul. <laughs> yeah. Uh, months and months and months after it aired. Mm-hmm. But uh, I wanted to watch more, but I I can only watch the pilot episode. I only had time for that. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I was kind of just, I wasn't even really going to see the show. I, was, I wasn't even probably going to even bother with watching the show. Um, mm. I felt like Breaking Bad while, and we did, we did a, whole, a whole series of episodes on the final episodes you can find early, early in the podcast feed on iTunes or wherever. Um, and so I won't bore you with that, but I, like I felt... I felt less emotionally connected to the Breaking Bad finale as you and Mike did. Hmm. Not to say that I didn't like it. I loved the finale and I loved Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't feel like that that big like I didn't feel like that. I didn't have like a lost style connection to to the yeah. end of the show. Yeah. So in saying that, I felt like as soon as you know, anytime a show ends. There's always talk, no matter what show it is. There's always talk like, "Oh, we're gonna do a spinoff show," or maybe they'll do a spinoff show. Yep. It's just these this character, and I'm always like, "Okay, guys, stop milking it. Yeah, it's over. Be done with it." And that's kind of the attitude I had with Better Call Saul when when it was announced and everything. Mm-hmm. I just thought, you know, Vince Gilligan created this universe, and it's contained. It contains one of the strongest acted and written characters um, that I've seen. In Walter White, 
mm-hmm. let it rest with the end of that story. Yeah. Um, there's no real reason to revisit that universe. That story was told, and it was told spectacularly well. So that's how I came about with, uh, came into Better Call Saul as a show. And I think it really worked in my favor that I waited this long to watch it because, uh, let's see, the, the Breaking Bad finale was, what, two years ago? Mm-hmm. And I'm just now watching Better Call Saul, which premiered earlier this year, I think. And, yeah, like January or February. And so while watching the premiere of Better Call Saul, two things struck me. One, it opens, the series itself opens with a scene of such emotion that I did not see it coming. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't want to spoil it or anything, but that, that opening scene is, it's a black and white scene that, that shows, that shows the character and the perspective that the character is coming from and the, and the perspective that the, that the character that, that the audience is viewing him from is, is steeped in mystery. For the most part, like we don't know going into the show. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what the character is up to. We don't know anything. Um, and just when it reaches the end of that scene before the title card comes up for Better Call Saul, I was just so, so surprisingly affected by the emotion in that scene. I was just hmm. I was just really amazed by the way that it was the way it was handled. And then we get the Better Call Saul um, uh, title card and then we get. Saul Goodman before he's Saul Goodman. Uh, mm-hmm. We get uh, Jimmy uh, Jimmy McGill um, test- <laughs> doing a doing his court thing for a few teenagers uh, <laughs> on a on a public event. Uh, he's a public defender for these three teenagers, and he's giving this he's giving this you know Saul Goodman uh, closing argument kind of thing or opening argument. I don't know what it is, but he's giving his whole thing, and then it's revealed what they did. Like he's, he's saying like the important thing to remember is no one got hurt here. This, no one was hurt. There was no harm done to anyone. And he's playing up this, this angle of it. And then the way that it's revealed, what, what case he's defending is through a videotape and I won't give away what it is, but (laughs) like from that moment, I was like, Oh, this, this show, this show is going to be something. (laughs) Um, (laughs) because Holy crap. It was uh, just so, it 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 was it was the dark comedy that you know that breaking bad at its best was yeah and it just in that moment and it was it was so so satisfying to me and so from from there it's uh from there the show the episode is it's cultivating its own its own direction from from breaking bad it's not i nice. yeah it was it's in the breaking bad universe and there were some things that i was like okay that's that's a little that's a little much i just want to hear about jimmy mcgill um, his storyline and everything. Yeah. Um, but man, I'm I'm looking forward to watching more. Nice. Um, because it was it was a really it was a, it was an interesting experience. And I will say two things, two last things, and then and then we'll go to you for what is your last one? I believe. Yeah, last one. So one thing is that I forgot how unique the cinematography and direction, um that goes that went into breaking bad um that kind of Vince Gilligan flair um i forgot how much or how unique that style was 
yeah. because the just the way the camera, the way that the shots are framed, and the way that lighting is handled, and the way that just the direction is is done throughout throughout the entire episode is just. And Vince Gilligan actually directed the pilot. Hmm. Um, the way that everything is just set up is just. I mean, it's it's a master class of 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 filmmaking and cinematography for television, no less. So wow. it's it's you know. It was a really good entry point to what I hope will be a satisfying TV series going forward. Nice. Yeah. Whew, that was a lot of words. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I really just didn't want to get hooked on another show. That's why yeah. I didn't watch it. Um, yeah. I, I know I will eventually. But right. Yeah. That's And that's the thing that I was kind of thinking was like, it would be cool to, to just, you know, let Better Call Saul do its thing. Let it run through like the in like five years or something. Not even not even rewatch Breaking Bad, but like let Better Call Saul do its thing, run its course, end however it's gonna end in like five or six years, and then watch it from the beginning for the first time, and then rewatch Breaking Bad. Um, wow, I thought like that would be cool, but then hmm. I oopsied that plan last night. <laughs> um, yeah, or the other night. Um, right. Yeah. So. So I'll report back with more more thoughts. Probably when I finish the first season, I'll report back on a future episode. Cool. On the first season of Better Call Saul. So, Tiny, yes. what is your last bit of potpourri for this episode? Uh, my last entry is also television. Nice. Um, it is the premiere of The Bastard Executioner, uh, which is created and, and run by uh, Matt's favorite showrunner. Oh, yeah. Kurt Sutter. Kurt Sutter. Not a fan. <laughs> yeah, I Just... Know. So not a fan. How would, okay, for, like I've heard people tweet and 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 you talk about the bastard executioner. I have no frame of reference for what this is. I'm, I mean, I'm not. I'm basically a cord cutter, pretty much. So I I haven't been keeping up with with ads or anything. So what is the bastard executioner? Uh, it's basically about a uh, uh, former soldier for Great Britain. It takes place in the sixteen hundreds, fourteen hundred. I don't even know. Uh, 1400s, 1600s, uh, the guy's a former soldier, either for the, the Welsh or the English. I don't even remember, to be honest with you. Uh, it's, it's actually, it's not very clear. Um, and he's kind of trying to, to make his way, um, just as a regular farmer, you know, just, a, a as a, a lower, lowest totem pole person on the, the fiefdom and the, whatever, the, the serfdom nature of the, British economy of, of okay. the Middle Ages or whatever. Sure. Um, you know, that was the whole, the middle of the whole surf peon. I don't know what you call it. Um, the feudal system. The feudal okay. system. Yeah. So he's he's just trying to be a farmer and make his way and have his family and whatever, live in peace. And uh, at the time, the, the Welsh and the, the Welsh and the, British are fighting each other or something. I don't know. Like I said, it's not very clear. But you know, the the all the the countrymen, the the regular uh, serfs or peons are are uh, have to pay fealty and pay taxes to the the um, the lords and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a very unfair system, and it's it's kind of a master slave scenario. And it's it's it was a, it's just a dark time in history. Mm-hmm. And so all these people are rebelling against the 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 barons or lords or whatever they're called I don't know um the the premiere did a very poor job of setup if you couldn't tell <laughs> um and it's just not not a part of history I know a lot about but uh, um so it, it it's kind of about that and it, and it sets up the the first season kind of sets up or I'm sorry the first episode 
kind of sets up the trajectory of the of the uh, the series like any good um, like any good premiere does. But it was a two hour premiere, and I feel like they they kind of just like sprinted through this whole story and got to the end to set up the series. And I I think it may have been a little bit more interesting to just let the first season be this story as opposed to just the premiere. Wow. Um, cause it just, it just does not set up any of the characters very well. Uh, they're, they're all very, you have a very distant connection to all the characters, including the main one. Um, and it, everything is just so rushed. They just sprinted through the story to set up the series. And, and at the end, this guy becomes an executioner of a, uh, of a, like, like a castle, if you will, which okay. is, a certain area, a castle rules a certain area. Okay. Yeah. You know. I, I thought you were going to, I thought you were going to be, I thought you were going to be sarcastic and be like, a castle is like a, a structure. <laughs> no. But yeah, like a castle, like a, they um, refer to it as castle, whatever. And they're yeah. talking about a whole area, you know? Right. So this guy kind of sort of assumes a different identity and becomes like an, an executioner or a punisher for this castle, the exact people that he's trying to work against. And, and revolt against and it's it's all pretty predictable and and everything um but just just nothing nothing literally nothing of the entire premiere stuck out as particularly noteworthy or or quality or uh unique it was all just very generic i mean it was like a store brand show i I really did not care for it at all. I almost turned wow. it off in the first 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I stuck with it just because I wanted to have something to talk about. And I kind of, I wanted to have something to talk about on the podcast. I, th- I think it's, <laughs> I, I want to try to follow the show just to talk about it on the podcast. Okay. And I, I think it's going to turn into me hating it. I'm just, uh, I'm just going to end up giving it shit, so much shit <laughs> whenever I talk about it on the podcast. Um, but I don't know. Maybe it'll find a stride somewhere and it'll be not terrible. Uh, it'll it'll find there'll there'll be something interesting to watch. I just I, I didn't latch on to any of the characters, and the story was just so muddled and imprecise that I couldn't get behind any of it. And it just n- nothing was concrete. It was just so spread out, and I just I I just Jeez. have no idea what's going on. It's it's such a it was just so mediocre. I wow. I really really didn't like it. Um. But tune back and I'll keep telling you what happens because <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, it it just was not good. Wow, it's wasn't uh, good. If I'm reading IMDb correctly, it is available on Amazon Prime Instant Video. Yeah. Um. So I might, I might, you know, I might check it out, and I might, I might, you know, see what the non fuss is about. Um, yeah. It's 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 it was not good. Interesting. I. Uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, speaking of Amazon Prime, by the way, I, I don't know. I'm hoping that I'll get this episode up Thursday. But if you're listening to this the day it releases, on Friday of this week, the 25th probably. Um, yes. Amazon Prime is actually going to be $67 as opposed to 99 So that's a year subscription to Amazon Prime. With And this is not an ad for Amazon Prime. We have no connection to Amazon Prime. I'm just right. saying as as a user of Amazon Prime myself, it's worth it for the $99 a year for me. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, if, if, you know, if you're listening to this in time you can get it on, at a discount. Nice. Um, I did not know that. I don't yeah. have to do that. Yeah. I think that it's only for like new users, but I think that there's a loophole that if you are a user, like I could go 
get it. I could go buy like buy it as a gift for someone, mm-hmm. and then just like get the. Like, it would be like a, an Amazon gift card. Oh, really? It'd be like a new registry, so I could get. Like that loophole will get me a get me the discount for it, so I can nice. just get it, uh, disconnect my auto renewal, and then when when my Amazon Prime expires, just use the gift card for Amazon Prime. Nice for you know thirty three bucks off. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, so I might do that because I'm cheap, but I have no money, so who knows? <laughs> right. So anyway, um, yeah, so we'll you know we'll follow up on that probably. Cool. Um, to round us out for this episode of the Obsessive Viewer. Um, I have a, I don't know how much I'm going to actually talk about this cause I've only seen three episodes, but I know that you watched a lot of it mm-hmm. or you watched all of it actually, but season two of Silicon Valley. Yes. I've seen three episodes of it and it's good, but I'm kind of just, you know, eh, about it. Really? Yeah. It, uh, you know, uh, the, I understand that the guy that, um, the guy that played Peter, Peter in the show, the kind of uh, the rich, the rich guy that was funding them, he died during production of season one. Yeah. So they they introduced a new character in his place in season two, and it feels like she's it feels like she's doing that not that same like shtick that he did so well, but it seems like she's she's trying to do this this you know weird genius social socially strange yeah thing and it's it's not quite landing for me and then uh you know some of the comedy is i mean the comedy's solid all around but i'm just kind of maybe i'm just in the mood whenever i see it because i'm kind of just like hmm. all right that was one episode of silicon valley i'll come back and see it tomorrow or something yeah um yeah i, I wasn't crazy about her character either she's very forgettable and just very um uh she, they're they're trying to make her too much like the other character yeah 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 so i agree with you on that but i still think it's i thought it was hilarious yeah uh yeah i mean it's yeah the comedy like i said it's it's solid but i'm just kind of i don't know something about i'm just not really i'm i'm having hard a hard time latching onto it okay fair enough um yeah so i'll like i said with the other stuff i'll report back on in a future episode and and we'll we'll see cool um yeah so that does it for this episode of the obsessive viewer Thank you for listening. We'll go to our pre-recorded outro. Tiny, do you have any final thoughts for the episode? Uh, I do not. Okay. You should be hearing the closing music. And yeah, we're done pretty much. Thanks for listening. That was horrible. Oh, my God. Why did I do that? Wow. I have no idea why I did that. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, that does it for us then. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Last night I watched the pilot. Wow, I just realized we haven't talked at all about the Emmys. No, we haven't. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, who cares? The Emmys happened. Um, yeah, yeah. It you know, I don't. We can take this brief tangent to talk about you. I don't. I don't feel like we watched the Oscars together. At and yeah, I mean the Oscars are are cool. They're you know big awards ceremony and everything, but I mm-hmm. never take stock in in awards recognition or anything. And mm-hmm. and I just it's it's more just a show to watch and, and the Emmys I like I had a vested interest in the Emmys because like Netflix in particular had a lot of nom- nominations and I'm the reason that I started obsessiveviewer.com is because Netflix is Netflix was jumping into original programming and I I love seeing that um 
expand so much and and see how the the television and movie culture is changing um for the better in my opinion and that still doesn't get me to watch the Emmys. I <laughs> I followed along on Twitter. I read the tweets. I looked up. Uh, I re- was refreshing uh, slash films dot slash like um, nominees and and winners page, but I couldn't be bothered to watch it. And I don't know. Maybe I'm just old. Yeah, I I don't care. I didn't care about it. I don't even know who won anything. I haven't yeah. looked it up. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Um. So anyway. So anyway. I want to spring this on you before we finish, Tony. Okay. There was a thread on Ask Reddit today that yeah. I was reading before while I was waiting for you to get here. Um, it was if HBO did a or what 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 historical event or time period would you want HBO to make a a TV series of World War One? Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, I thought I was gonna just put you on the spot for it, <laughs> and you were gonna have to think about it and. All that. Nice. Yeah, I'd say World War One. Nice. Very underappreciated and understudied mm-hmm. uh, event in world history. The sequel gets all the attention. The sequel gets all the attention. Yeah. Bigger villain. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I'd say. Oh, nice. Nice. Yep. Uh, there were some really cool, yeah, really cool responses. Like, check out that thread. I'll link it to you in the Totes. podcast. Pod chat, and I'll put it in the show notes of this episode. Cool. Uh, but yeah, I would probably say one of the one of the question one of the answers was uh, uh, the um, uh, the fall of like the Aztec Empire. I think. Oh, that'd be cool. That'd be interesting. I watched that. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch. There's a bunch of other ones. So nice. The Crusades, the Black pa- Black Plague. Yeah. Um, a bunch of stuff. So anyway, I just wanted to you know throw it out throw that out there. I like it. Yeah. Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can email the hosts individually at Matt, Tiny, or Mike at ObsessiveViewer.com or send an email to the podcast in general at podcast at ObsessiveViewer.com. Check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at ObsessiveViewer.com where we post movie and TV reviews and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. You can also like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer and follow us on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer, at Obsessive Tiny, and at I am Mike White. If you want more obsessive content in your life, check out our sister site, ObsessiveBookNerd.com, for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other. I had to pee so bad.